Welcome to All Tea No Shade. My name is Xander Alexander, and I am just living my best life. Trying to keep it real, trying to keep it cute, and trying to keep it real cute. All Tea No Shade. Now let's spill some tea. All right, all right, and on today's episode, we are going to be breaking down the RuPaul Drag Race All-Stars 4 finale, as well as talking about tops, bottoms, and versatiles. And no, breeders, for those of you who don't know, we are not talking about things that go into the laundry. So let's get started and see what shit gay boys say. For those of you who don't live under a rock, you'll know that RuPaul's Drag Race finale was tonight, and what an entertaining finale it was. So, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it yet, this is a spoiler alert. It's going to tell you who and what happens, so cover your ears, spoiler alert. And the winner of... RuPaul's Drag Race, all season four, all star season four, that will be making their way into the Hall of Fame is none other than Trinity Taylor and Monet Exchange. That's right, boys and girls, for the first time in Drag Race. Herstory. There are two winners of All Stars, and oh my God, did it have them gagged! I was like, "Good gracious, ass is bodacious!" Did she really just drop this one on us? Now, the results have been met with, let's just say differing opinions on whether or not it should have happened the way it happened, whether it was a political move, whether it was because they wanted to have someone black or a person of color in the All-Stars Hall of Fame, or whether they just tied. The world may never know, but I know who does know. Miss RuPaul herself, okay, Henry? So... Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's just catch everyone up and get on the same page so that we're all caught up in terms of who was actually in the finale and the final four. Now, Monique Hart, Naomi Smalls, Monet Exchange, and Trinity Taylor were the final four drag queens and RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 4. Monique Hart how did she make it to the final? On grit and determination. She fought her way from the brink of elimination and every single round she put her all into it. Now she's got a little ways to go to finish polishing everything off, but she definitely showed that fuck them hoes, she came from nothing. And she definitely to some, may have deserved to be there and to others may not have deserved to be there. My thoughts are that she could have been knocked out before then. I mean, I think she was great content and she was great. She made great TV, but 
I don't particularly like her aesthetic. I don't think her makeup is on par with the other girls. And I don't think her overall presentation is. My advice to her would be invest in some makeup lessons and girl, learn how to keep that wig on. Because if I saw her wig fall off one more time, I was about to lose my mind. Up next, Naomi Smalls. Quite possibly one of the most statuesque drag queens we've seen grace the stages of RuPaul's Drag Race, whether all-stars or regular season. She definitely deserved to be there. She's a pretty fashion queen who wants to be on the cover of Vogue. I mean, my advice to her is just round out more of your talents. She's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none. And I think it would benefit her to probably round out those trades so that she can have better performances and be more memorable and be known for her personality. Monet Exchange. How'd she get there? Well, she stepped that pussy up. Because she, too, started out a little bit slow. And then... She stepped it up towards the end, and that finale performance was something else. My thoughts for her are stop wearing onesies. They're not that flattering on your body, and you wear them way too often. How about we try something new? Something a little bit more flattering, something a little bit more high fashion, kind of like your finale dress. Those are my thoughts. That's my advice. And Trinity Taylor, how did she get here? Bitch, she basically won more challenges than anyone. Well, before Manila was eliminated. And she definitely deserved to be there, and she deserved to be the winner. Or co-winner. Those are my thoughts. She looked absolutely fierce. And she busted her balls on each challenge. And she put it all into it, and you could tell. It was obvious. The only advice to her is take the world by storm and show them what you've got. Because you are a true all-star Trinity Taylor. In terms of the final challenge, I think Monique did the best. Trinity did the, Monique and Trinity definitely did the best, by far, in terms of words and their lyrics and their performance. And then Monique and Naomi come in second. But Monique, Monet Exchange, she slayed that dance routine. She did not miss a beat. I was shocked. And of course, Trinity just looked amazing on, on stage. It's like you couldn't take your eyes off of her. And those final looks, oh. We had Monet Exchange in a beautiful Wakanda Forever style Ode to Africa dress. And then we had Naomi Smalls in this purple getup that I couldn't even begin to tell you what it looked like but it looked fierce 
And she looks fierce, as usual. She always looks fierce. Um, Monique Hart, of course, I think was probably the weakest of all of them. And But she looked great. She looked stunning. She was, besides the sleeves, she was wearing a beautiful couture-looking black dress um, that didn't really show much form, but it was cute. And then Trinity was wearing this Dolce Gabbana-esque dress with shape, geometry, and algebra, girl. It was everything. I was living my life for that dress. Michelle Visage called it out as one of the most beautiful looks that have ever been served on the runway period. And I think I tend to agree with her. And as for the result, the dual winners, I think it was the right thing to do. The white thing to do, the right thing to do, I don't know, I kind of minced the words a little bit, but I think they were meant to be in this case because when you looked at all three winners, it was like you've got three white girls who've won All-Star so far, and you're about to add a fourth white girl as you were standing there on stage with three black girls and a white girl. So, for diversity's sake, it was good. In the last performance, they both did extremely well. And Trinity did only have one more win than Monet, so it makes sense. What do you think? Were you happy with the results? Who would you have chosen as your Miss Congeniality? I would have chosen Manila Luzon because I think she got robbed, personally. But that's just me. Okay, okay, so... <clears throat> excuse me. So that is enough of RuPaul's Drag Race. And so now we're just going to turn shit gay boys say into an open forum discussion and today's open forum discussion is on tops bottoms and versatiles now once again breeders oh for those of you that don't know the term breeder is actually meant for straight people because that's what they are breeders it's what they're meant to do it's what they're put here on this earth for so we affectionately like to call them breeders. It's a term of endearment, you know, a nice little fuzzy wuzzy term. So no need to get offended, no need to get your pennies in a bunch, no need to go hollering out, like calm down, have several seats, because that's how it is, okay? Live your life and let me live mine. Now anyways, so breeders, this Shit Gay Boy stays in open form, not only just for jokes, but for education and education through comedy and humor, especially sex education. Because nowadays, sex education is not prevalent enough in our school systems, so a lot of young adults are learning sex education through where? Porn. Come on now, you and I have seen enough adult videos to know that Little Jane and Little Bobby should not be looking at porn for their sex education. 
because that's going to be some extreme sex education. Let's, let's try to ease them into it with the basics, okay? We can start with the basics. That's, that's fair enough, right? Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. I agree. It's fair enough. Start with the basics, and then we can move on. Because without the basics, I mean, well, first of all, I digress. And I digress a lot for those of you who listen to the show, but it's for a purpose and a reason. Now, it is very significant right now that sex education is taught at the right place and at the right time. And you may be wondering why I say the right place and the right time, and that's because a lot of people don't feel comfortable having sex until they've had sex education. Is that registering with you? So they don't feel comfortable having sexual interactions until they've learned about said sexual interactions through education. Or, well, in the cases where porn is their education, they learn it through porn and visually see how to do it and what's going on. Now, one of the main reasons that this is so important is because the U.S., the population is at stake. For the leader of the free world and the most developed country, arguably the most developed country, we are at stake of losing our population and population control to other countries, third world countries especially, because our population is actually shrinking right now. It's shrinking faster than it's growing because we're having less and less babies, the younger generations, millennials and Generation Z, and a part of that has to do with societal structures and a part of that has to do with social norms and a part of that just has to do with the fact that they can't afford it. But it is going to be a problem eventually, especially when we're talking about weighing in on social security for our retirement years. Because eventually we're going to get to the point where our population has grown older than it is younger. And there will be more people out of work and on Social Security than in work. In fact, one number that I was looking at, I don't know what year it said, but by a certain year, this is actually way just off in the future, there's going to be two people on Social Security for every one person that's working. Now, I don't know how that's going to exactly work out in our favor unless artificial intelligence robots individually are going to be paying social security tax, it's going to be paying their social security taxes too. Because artificial intelligence is taking over everything and it's going to wipe out probably a third, if not more, of all jobs in the United States and in the world for that matter. 
But in a manufacturing-rich country like the United States, artificial intelligence is going to reign supreme, and we've got to know what we're going to do before that happens. Because once it happens, it's going to be too late. And now we're going to have all these displaced workers, and it's not that we, we need to find them new jobs doing the same thing they've been doing. It's that we need to find and we need to create new job markets and industries that are shielded and protected from artificial intelligence, the grasp of artificial intelligence. But see how I digress there? Very interesting conversation comes from it. And just to take it home on why population growth is important is because we want our nation to be thriving and continue to thrive so that we can continue to be the leaders of the free world. If we run out of the ability to procreate fast enough to keep our earth populated, then we're going to have to turn desperate times into some very desperate measures. And I'm talking like extremely desperate measures, the likes of which I've only seen in movies like Aeon Flux, where we're going to be making and manufacturing babies and counting the number of live pregnancies that happen. Do we really, 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 really want to go there? I don't think so. So let's start teaching sex education at the right time and the right place so that individuals are properly prepared not just for when they want to start to engage in sexual interaction, but when they're able to engage and consent in sexual interaction. Because for some people, that's in their teen years. In fact, back in the day, the average person experienced their first sexual experience during high school, on average, for Gen X and the boomers. But for the millennials and Gen Z, on average, they're experiencing their first sexual encounters much later in life, like college. Now, for some, this may not seem like such a bad thing because parents who sometimes have an ultra-conservative view about sex may think, oh great, now my teen daughter's not going to get knocked up or my teen son's not going to have an unwanted pregnancy. But keep in mind, for the greater good of mankind, teen pregnancies and the rate of teen pregnancies can actually predict the rate of population growth. So the less teen pregnancies you're having, the slower your population is going to grow. Because the sooner you have a baby, the sooner you can have another baby, and the sooner you can have another baby, and the idea is that you keep having babies until you're not able to. If you wait until you're, say, I don't know, 35 to have a baby, then like the chances are you're only going to have one. And that's what's been happening lately, is that people are waiting later and later in life to have children so that because they can't afford it or they want to make sure that they can afford it in this day and age and, and economic climate. So just keep these things in mind that it's all interconnected and it's, it's not that easy to understand and it's not all that intuitive. And 
it's not binary in terms of right and wrong. It is non-binary to the definition to the T. Sorry, I just had to school you there for a minute because it was bothering me that I just read these statistics about the slowing down of our population and the fact that we could literally lose the ability or future generations can lose their ability to be the leaders of the free world just because we're not producing enough people like say China or India or Mexico. So if we wanna ensure that future generations have the same benefits that we have as being leaders of the free world, then I think we should do our part, like tackling climate change. I'm not even gonna get into that right now, or AOC, no, no clapbacks here. Uh-uh, no ma'am, not on my show, not today, not like this. Maybe on a future show. But, and definitely not on the segment shit gay boys say, because different conversation for a different day. Now, back to the lecture at hand. Tops, bottoms, and versatiles. Now, this is, again, just some basic education for those of you who don't know much about the LGBTQI community with regards to sexual education. Because think about it, what sex ed class have you ever been taught that's actually had things about homosexuals, gay males, lesbians? No, they leave that stuff out of their Bible-thumping, scripture-following, sexual education norms. And it's high time that we included the gay community in sex education. So a part of that is just identifying some, some of the basic key identifiers for sexual interaction and social interaction. And we'll talk a little bit about, about how being a top, a bottom, or a verse can affect you sexually and socially. Now, for those of you who don't know, top, bottom, and verse traditionally is just a description of your sexual, um, your sexual preference in the bedroom. Now, to try to put it into even more layman's terms, it's kind of like your position or your favorite position to equate it to, to the breeders. Because for them, they don't really have tops, bottoms, and versatiles because, well, unless their girlfriend is strapping on or she's a trans individual who has not had surgery, then the chances of the guy ever bottoming in that relationship are slim 
to none, at least not in that relationship. Now on the side, on the low, on the trade, that's a different story, and I can't even help that. So anyways, the terms are used to classify individuals. So let's start with tops. Let's start from the top, shall we? So tops are typically associated with masculinity. Why is it that tops are always traditionally associated with the masculine role? I mean, they're considered the quote-unquote guy in the relationship. Now, when people ask that stupid question, who's the guy and who's the girl? While it may seem like an antiquated, ignorant question, there kind of is an answer to it. The top is usually considered the quote-unquote guy in the relationship. They take on the more masculine identifying gender and sexual roles. So the top is the one we call the giver. So they are the pitcher, not the catcher. Does that make sense? And how do you know when you see a top? Well, nowadays, it's a lot harder to tell because with gender non-binary and gender fluid and gender non-conforming, the spectrum has been a little hazy. But before, it was traditionally gay males who were quote-unquote straight acting, who acted straight, dressed straight, looked straight, for all intents and purposes, you couldn't quite tell they were gay or they were just more on the masculine side, maybe played sports, maybe watched sports, hung out with straight guys, bros, that type of thing. You could tell by the way they dressed because they typically weren't wearing tight clothes. They're wearing, I guess, regular fitting, not slim fitting jeans or, you know, hoodies, things that don't really require much attention um, and it's not to say that straight guys don't dress well but if you had to ask a, any straight girl who dresses better gay guys or straight guys hands down gay guys win that every time so advice for tops slow down slow down it's not a race to the finish, number one. Number two, it is not a drill bit or a jackhammer. And number three, you should be treating your bottoms delicately. Well, not so much delicately, but treating them right. So slow it down. Don't hurt them. Keep it cool. And who's my dream top? Hmm. My dream top. Well, I would have to say that my dream top would be... That's a tough one. a very very tough one 
because I don't have a lot of favorites. I have a lot of likes and dislikes, but just not a lot of favorites. But I guess on this one, my dream top would be Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> I mean, first you have to assume they're a top, but that'd be my dream top. Okay, so that about covers tops. They're the men, and they are the givers. Now on to bottoms. Bottoms are generally more associated with femininity, almost a toxic femininity. And when you see gays portrayed in the media and on TV and, you know, in parodies, it's typically referring to a bottom gay who is overly effeminate, articulate, expressions, expressions are larger than life, dresses very avant-garde or out there, lots of opinions, sometimes high-pitched voices with lisps. These are all the stereotypes of bottoms. And they're just a little bit more feminine, and there's nothing wrong with being feminine. That's one of the problems within the gay community is demonizing what we're calling toxic femininity right now, but it's not so much toxic. It's kind of like just chronic femininity, maybe. I don't know. We'll get back to that. But you get what I mean, hopefully, on that. And how do you know a bottom when you see one? <laughs> well, you can practically smell them when they're walking. Um, or you can see the swish in their walk or the sissy in that walk. Now it's sissy that walk. And yeah, they're usually the more feminine ones. And they're usually the more caretaking ones, but they also can be a little bit more catty and dramatic and bitchy than tops because tops usually like to stay out of the drama they can be territorial of their bottoms but bottoms are much more territorial of their tops i would say wouldn't you say i think so advice for bottoms mm, stop being so thirsty The tops will come when they come. Okay, wait, that didn't sound right. If you're a bottom, the top will get there. Just wait patiently, because they're few and far between, but when you find a good one, you better hold on to them and fight those other bottoms off, because the minute you turn your back, they will jump on him and act like you don't even exist. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Ooh, child. My dream bottom, Taylor Lautner. That was a very easy one. Hands down. That's my dream bottom. Now, our final category is versatile. And that gets a little bit more tricky because it's very non-conforming and fluid. 
in nature. So versatile just means you like to top and you like to bottom, which means you like to pitch and you like to catch. You like to give and you like to receive. That's what versatile means. Now, in addition to just being classified as versatile, you can actually put a qualifier on it and say versatile top or versatile bottom to let them know if you have a proclivity to one or the other. Now, or you can just be plain verse because you like them equally. And it just depends on the mood or it depends on the other person. It's kind of like being flexible. So if the other person, if you're versatile and the other person's a top, then that means you bottom for them. And if you're versatile and the other person's a bottom, then that means you top for them. And if you're versatile and the other person's versatile, then you just figure out or you flip-flop. Now, if you're a top and the other person's a top, you run into the biggest problem because two tops don't make a bottom. And if you're a bottom and you run into another bottom, you also run into a big problem because two bottoms don't make a top. So that's why these classifications are there because there's sexual tendencies associated with each, but there's also a mindset and a mentality and almost backed by science and nature, certain feelings and hmm, how would you put it? Certain feelings and proclivities one will have based on whether they're a top, bottom, or a verse. And there's really no way to pick a verse out of a crowd. I mean, they could be, you know, as straight acting as your most trade-like top or as gay acting as your most feminine bottom, and you'll just never know. My dream verse would be, hmm, my dream verse would be, that's a good question, Mario Lopez, because he still looks good. He was really saved by that bell girl. That bell saved his life. So that kind of wraps up our discussion on tops, bottoms, and versatile. And also on RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star Season 4. Next time, we'll discuss more in-depth issues on our Shit Gay Boys Say series. Things like equal rights between tops and bottoms. Does society bottom shame on purpose? Racism versus preference in the community. Judge and the jury on each other. Religion, politics versus rights. And things like, you know, what would you like to see in your time? The first gay to dot, 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 what? Set foot on the moon, etc. Run for president, become president. And last but not least, to take a quote from one of my absolute favorite movies, Mean Girls, we have 
got to stop calling each other sluts and bitches. Have some respect for our own community, guys. Come on. Come through. It's not that hard. We've already been oppressed. Let's not oppress each other even more. But that's a digression for another day. With bottom shaming, race shaming, slut shaming, we'll get into that on our series for Shit Gay Boy Say. Here on All Tea, No Shade. Once again, I'm Xander Alexander, and this is All Tea, No Shade, where I try to keep it real, I try to keep it cute, and I try to keep it real cute. And that's the tea.